I look at sides and I've got to be quite honest, I think they're, a lot of them, their attacking set plays and their defending set plays are, are really poor. I'd, I'd, I'd really fancy playing them because we were really good at that. What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school, now to put in Powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that. But then also, they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. Let's just win this to appease the fan. <laughs> but um, I think one thing that's really fascinating is how eventually in 2001 at Leicester you became a director of football. So it's almost a case whereby you were once a manager dealing with directors, dealing with all the, the sort of boardroom sort of antics there and eventually you became that sort of sort of figure there. Like quite a few managers have almost been anti-director of footballs but we're seeing more of that happen in the modern game now. What was your sort of role as a director of football like and what's your What's your view on clubs having them? Well, I, I, I think they're a good idea because the idea when I took uh, Leicester that they wanted a, a, a successor to, uh, to take over and I brought Mickey Adams in and uh, manager. And then at the end of the season, when we took over, we was getting relegated. We were a poor side in the Premier League. Mickey took over and, and it was always that I would stick up director of football. But unfortunately, the directors didn't understand what director of football was. You know, they couldn't understand. So they were in a way, well, you know, a lot of the time they didn't see things, but the director of football's there to really help the club and help the board to, to make sure that they're getting a good perspective on the football to support the manager, but at the same time support the club. So the director of football is in the middle. He's there to help the manager as much as possible in every respect, but not go over the top and spend money they can't afford. And at the same time, making sure the club is developing at the lower level, producing players and everything else. But unfortunately, the people weren't football people at Leicester. They've been on the board. Yeah, they probably said they were football people, but they didn't really understand what what the situation was. Um, I mean, yeah, they sold Emil Heskey for eleven million pounds and completely wasted the eleven million pounds buying players that weren't good enough and that they paid higher prices and they started to pay wages way above what Leicester should have done. And because unfortunately, the club went into administration when I was director of football. And it, it lost mm. way, really. Um, a director of football can do a job. Again, it can. He, 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 a lot of managers think that uh, he's, he's going to be a, like a parrot on their shoulder. That's not the case. <laughs> the director yeah. is there to help the club and help the manager. He's got to make sure that the thing works so that the manager don't take liberties because there's a lot of clubs who have allowed managers to spend money or, or, or put more money in and get into serious trouble. And that's what happened to Leicester. They, they allowed money, they paid wages they couldn't afford to a lot of players and they, they'd wasted the money on players who were poor, that weren't good enough for the Premier League. And the youth level at that time was pathetic to what they had produced in terms of it. So the idea is that you, the director of football, you've got to make sure the structure of the club is, you, you know, you're answerable, but at the same time, you're in a position where you explain to the board what's going on and, and again, mm. The manager's got to understand that you're there to protect the club, you're there to help him, you're there to protect the club. And if you decide you're going to uh, have a director of football, the manager 
is when he comes in, knows there's a director of football and knows what the demarcation. The director of football don't get in, uh, involved in in the training or, or that. He might watch it and, he, and and that he doesn't decide on the team unless the manager, you know, the manager wants to discuss with him. But what he does is he remains on the structure of the whole concept of the, of the thing. But of course, you know, some clubs have done it quite well where they call it sporting director, and you know. Yeah. Football isn't, isn't involved in the commerce and the commercial side, advertising, that type of thing. It's purely a football scene to make sure that the youth section and the, the, the schoolboy section is working correctly, the facilities at the ground are good, um, the, the, the privilege of doing those things. And again, it's in the transfers, identifying players on behalf of the manager and uh, etc. You know, of course, you go along with a, a manager, the manager. The director of football might feel slightly different about a player, but again, if the manager is really strong and, and, and he wants him, you've got to go with him. It's no good providing the manager with a player that he's not going to play. That's a waste of time. Mm. You know, it's no good the director of football, he's coming in, you get on with it, and then he don't play him. That, that, you know, that, that doesn't achieve anything, that creates problems. But as I say, some some of them have done it well. But there's always been this angle that uh, in the past that the, the manager. It's very difficult bringing a director of football in um, with a manager already there. He feels he's been, mm. which is wrong because he should be open-minded. And possibly in the future that, that will be the case. But when I brought Mickey Adams to take over from me, he, he was quite happy for me to be director of football, etc. It was okay. There was no problems. Uh, on what it was doing, but as I say, unfortunately, Leicester was in a state when I went there, and uh, you know, administration was just looming and everything else. You know, the amazing part is that when I was there, Greg Clark was the chairman of, uh, uh, of Leicester City when it went into relegation. Now he's chairman of the FA. So, it does yeah, yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And I think one of the one of the fascinating things that obviously we see in the modern game now is this whole idea of, of the super agents and what it's like to work with agents and how almost more so they're involved now in clubs. Obviously, you manage through the 80s and the 90s, you're director of football at Leicester in 2001. You're also a football consultant as well uh, dur during the 2000s as well. What's been your experience with agents and dealing with them and how has their role sort of uh, changed over the, over the last sort of 20 to 30 years? Well, they've become extremely more. In the early days at Wimbledon, there wasn't any agents. Uh, Sheffield United, it started to creep in a little bit towards the end. They, they were there. All of a sudden, they came in and they took advantage with the players to say, the club's the enemy, the manager's the enemy. You know, they're trying to get you cheap, they're trying to do this. And of course, the players are, are naive and they go for them. And uh, yeah, obviously, a lot of them, uh, agents, got older players and then they started to deal with it. And of course, that's quite a change because as director of football at Leicester, I was doing a lot of the contracts uh, for them, you know. Doing that, I did that at Sheffield United and Wimbledon. You know, I did all the wages, I had a budget, etc. Nothing like where all of a sudden the managers don't now. And I can understand things have moved on with the figures that, that it came. But 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 I was very anti-agents. You know, people say, well, you, then you're taking advantage of them. No, you know what your budget is going to be. A player should have something about him. But if he wants to bring somebody in, because the agent. Is, is a problem because they take so much money out of the game, uh, the man, mm. 
and uh, they're multi-millionaires. And when you think, well, what are they doing? An agent brings you to the club. He might ring you up and say, look, I've got this player, he's my player, we'd love to play for you, etc." And you sign him. Then as soon as you sign him, after he's played about 15 games, the agent's on the door looking for a new contract or at the end of the wants a new contract. If you don't get one, all of a sudden now he's agitating to move. We've got to get him new. So it's in the interest of the agent to move the player. And, or, or if he can get a new contract, then he earns again for getting a new contract. All he's doing is advising the player the wages. You know, he's, he's getting money for easiness, really. And the player, if the players are happy, um, you know, I, I know when I had some dealings with agents, uh, uh, the agents were playing off the players. And sometimes, you know, uh, the, I, we said, no, we're not playing anymore. And they, we might do a deal. And they were taking their bin out of it and going out to the players and saying, this is the maximum you can get. And if the player had come in with his solicitor or accountant, he'd have probably got more as such because mm. the accountant wouldn't have been charging quite as much. So, and again, then once they look for another club, they're all right, let's get moved on. So it's, it's not in an agent's interest that you stay at the club. And, uh, and, and you know, unless, depending on how much money he's earned over the period of time, and that could be, be a lot of money. But of course, if they can get a new contract to extension and get more money, that's pretty good after there. I mean, you, you hear players that have played 10 or 11 games or something, and then they're getting a new contract. You think, well, hold on a minute, how the hell can you do that? But they do. Then, obviously, they move them on. It's in their interest that they either get contract extensions regularly or they get a move to another club. And, you know, I think certain clubs, the players have probably uh, made a mistake of the agent getting them to move instead of staying on the, the, the club they were at. And it don't work out quite as successful elsewhere. They're, they're, they're here to stay. Yeah. They're, they're, they're there. And, you know, a lot of them are multi, multi-millionaires. Um, you think, well, really, what do they bring to the game of football? All they're arguing for is like an estate agent. You sell your house and you pay your... And then if the same yeah. get you to buy one of his houses, he's, he's more than happy. But uh, uh, it's, it's not going to change. It's one of those because there's so much money and uh, the players believe the agents do better for them than that. You know, if an agent can then work for a player and get him a contract with Nike or Puma or Adidas, well, he's done a good job to earn. And again, if the agent does a reasonable job and, and, and he, he pays, uh, you know, they don't want, you know, because the player don't really want to give the money to the agent, you know, as well, because they're always very secretive about how much they've got. They don't want the player to know. And I think I think really linked to that as well is the whole idea of of this new sort of modern buzzword, which is player power, and and the whole idea of of how obviously like a club is more likely to get rid of a manager than get rid of a 23-man playing squad, and this whole idea of players down in tools to try and get managers sacked. What's your kind of feeling towards it? Especially we've seen we've seen these stories creep up with managers like Jose Mourinho talking about about player power. We've seen. It happened with Claudio Ranieri at Leicester City. What's your sort of feelings towards this this whole sort of idea around player power? Well, it shouldn't be player power, but of course, as you rightly said early on, it's cheaper to get rid of the manager than get rid of 24 mm. players or whatever it is. Well, of course, the manager probably wouldn't want to get 23, but the players can 
uh, cause problems. Generally, it's the ones who are not in the team who are complaining. You know, those who are playing are quite happy. But of course, sometimes there's this adage that it's easy for the media to say the manager's lost the dressing room, and that's not necessarily. Mm. The ones who are not playing, they're probably moaning, uh, but that's not losing the dressing room. So uh, it, it, it's a position where they're millionaires and uh, they, 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 you've got to treat them in a different way because they've got plenty of money, they can survive and, and they can you know, act in a way. And, and also there's, you know, there's more now where the members of the board and things like that are in contact with players, listen to players, and it's easy to... Blame the manager as such, and uh, it's, it's, instead of the club sticking with them, you with me? You know, in, in my yeah. it was always the manager had the say. You know, the, the player had to toe the line. I mean, George Graham will remember he said, you know, directors direct, managers manage, and players play. That's the way. But it's not. You know, players players do cause problems, um, and they come out, and uh, you know, they leak stuff to their agent, who leaks it to the press oh, the training's not very good, or this is not very good, you know, so there's always this element behind that the manager has to, to, to live with. And of course, there's also, uh, the, all the clubs have got a lot more staff. So as a manager, you've got a hell of a lot more wagging tongues behind the scenes, because, you know, there can be people further down the line who are criticising the training, or this ain't right, or that ain't right, and things start to, to come out, because People are like that, and uh, uh, there's a lot of uh, you know smoking mirrors about, you know more so. I mean, I was at Nottingham Forest when Pierre Van Hoyle went on strike. You know, uh, we'd got from Premier League, and then he decides to go on strike because he don't think we signed enough good players. Yeah, I wanted to sign more good players, but unfortunately, the board of directors needed money, so we had to sell. Yeah. Player interference. Uh, when a, the, the um, director of football sold Kevin Campbell behind the back to, to um, Trappenspor in Turkey. And of course, with Van Oydel being on strike and didn't come back. And when he come back, of course, most of the team were happy with him because he, he wasn't a team player, he deserted the team. And that was, you know, all the hard work of getting up and winning the championship with Forrest was going to disappear. And you look where Forrest is, they've never been back to the Premier League. I got the second. Yeah. I got the second in January, Ron Atkinson come in, he couldn't keep them up. Um, and they've been outside the Premier League since. So that's a long, long time. So, you know, and Pierre Van Oydel was uh, didn't help the club at all. What he did was outrageous, you know. Um, and uh, again, you know, there are players that sometimes are now, no, not quite as openly, but they, they you know, uh, you can obviously see there's sometimes elements where you know, they pretend they've got an injury or whatever it is, or, and, uh, you know, decide they don't want to play or whatever. So, you know, they, I, you know, I've got no time for that at all. You know, you're a footballer, you should love the game. If you love the game, you play. Because everybody should really, if there was no money, there's a lot of players who wouldn't play football because they yeah. play, but there'd be stacks who would play. They would play if you, if they'd be, because that's what you do. You, you go, the, yeah. On a Sunday morning or Saturday afternoon, people play for nothing. They're not good footballers. I play for nothing, yeah. But they're <laughs> enjoyment. So don't think if you're a good footballer, yeah. you play for no you'd play for nothing if you wasn't, you know. You don't mind them getting the best of what it is. But there are some footballers, if they can earn the same money doing something else, they'd do something else. 
Yeah, no, definitely. And I think one thing I wanted to ask you as well was earlier on you mentioned about the sort of style of play you were playing. And I think there's been obviously been a big shift through the years and through the decades of, of the sort of tactical approach to the game. So, so for instance, in terms of recently, we're seeing more more sort of play, uh, managers playing in the sort of high press, playing out of the back. The keepers now have to be good on the ball. If, if you were managing in, in sort of today's game, how would you sort of set up to sort of nullify these these sort of modern teams and modern approaches? And, and to the more younger listeners, which sort of Premier League club would you compare uh, Wimbledon and Sheffield United to? Besides the players you've got, again, I played a, a direct more direct style, uh, which was labelled long ball. It wasn't always long ball, but uh, they were to just generalise. Sheffield and, uh, sorry, Wimbledon and Sheffield, but uh, Nottingham Forest and Barnsley, we didn't play long ball at all. We we played all differently football, because the players at both those clubs were capable of playing the way Wimbledon and Sheffield United do. So you've got a different type of animal that can play that you need to play if you're going to play direct football and uh, that than you do uh, as if you're in a passing game. And some players who play who'd be ideal in the Sheffield United or Wimbledon team wouldn't have been any good in the Barnsley or the, uh, the Forest side and vice versa. So you, you first of all you've got to decide how you're going to play yourself and then you know, you decide on the attacking way, how you're going to defend, etc. So, again, if you know that a team, I mean, as I say, Wimbledon, when we came up and Sheffield United, when we, we were on, on there, we'd lose games, we could get a, a, a good idea, but we, we never sat back. I went for attack. You know, I didn't play on the counter attack. We went for the jugular straight away. So the ball was going to be up. It was going to be in their box. We, we knew if we got the ball in, the opposition's box or penalty area that final third if we got it in there enough we would create chances some days it wouldn't come off we wouldn't get the goals that we practiced there another day it comes off and, it, and you score your goals and you know when when we was in that top division the liverpool were fantastic kenny dalglish rush alan hansen mm-hmm. they're not rubbish players Peter Reid at Everton, Mountfield, Ratcliffe, Southall, Sharpie, they know they won the league. They were no rubbish players. You know, Arsenal were, you know, a good side, Tony Adams, uh, uh, Steve Williams, David Rowcastle, Merson, Alan Smith, you know, they were a good side. So, you know, we, when we was up there, these are good sides. We did the double over Chelsea. We won at Liverpool. And we did the double over Manchester United uh, as such. Um, at Everton, uh, we, we, we actually lost both the league games, but we knocked them over the cup final, cup won the cup the year before, we knocked them out in the cup final. We, we got four points off the of Spurs. So we, you know, we, we, we made sure and we knew that the size didn't. And, and of course, they criticised us and the press sort of went along. They were more interested in listening to Kenny Dalglish and Howard uh, uh, Kendall and George Graham and the other lot. Alec Ferguson more than they were Dave Bassett. So it was the, you know, good for the game, really, uh, which is absolute nonsense because it makes it more interesting. You know, Chris Wilder's come up with a system this year um, that's yeah. very, and, and, and most of the teams haven't been able to comprehend out the play against it. And uh, he's, he's done a good job. He's, he's, his thoughts behind it was different. You know, 
you, you could play like Manchester, United, uh, Manchester City if you've got the players. But if you haven't, you know, you know, for me, it's nonsense. You don't, you, if you're playing Manchester City, you launch the ball right down the other end of the field. You don't start playing out from the back and let Man City get off you. You're, you're, you're asking for trouble. You know, all of a sudden, your brain's got to be there saying, if they get hold of it there, you're in serious, serious trouble. You with me? So you, yeah, yeah. You, you just, when they get it, roll it out the back, well, get yourself back, get defensively, but at every point, every opportunity, turn their back for them. Turn it. Mm. Drop it over the back and have fast players getting on the end of it. Then yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and use your corners and free kicks and uh, long throws, all the things again. You've got you 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 you've got to do that. You you know you can't you can't just go out and say we will play Liverpool at their own game or anything else because they've got better players. So and, and, mm. and so that's a fact of life. It's no good dreaming world. Wimbledon didn't have the best players in the world. They had good players and everything else. Wise, he was a very good player. For example, Glenn Hodges was a very good player. Winterburn was a very good player. But we didn't, you know, if you tied it up and said, whatever well, these tie up against the uh, the uh, Liverpool team, the Everton team, you know, the, the Arsenal team, the Tottenham team, you know, with Glenn Hoddle and Wobble and that, you know, well, unfortunately, we haven't as good as him, but we proved that we could beat him by what we did. So, okay. It's more Can I just jump in on that one? Can I just jump in on that one, Dave? Because um, do you feel that you guys get enough credit for what you did to those teams? Because like, I'm quite younger and I, and I always listen to what people speak about when they speak about Wimbledon and the sort of way in which you guys played. And it's almost like now today, you look at someone like Diego Simeone and the way he makes it so uncomfortable against Barcelona and Real Madrid and the way everyone calls it a masterclass or Jose Mourinho go, goes and grabs a smashing grab and it's like this magical thing really. Do you feel as though your your players and what you did gets enough credit? No, of course they didn't. No, they didn't because uh, there was a creation with the media that Wimbledon were upstarts and they shouldn't be there. You know, the ground sort of palatial and uh, we got credit here and there bits, but overall, no. We think the players didn't get the credit for what they've done. You know, nobody, anybody did. How come Besson played for England? You know, how did come Winterburn play for England? How come Freshman played for England? How come Wisey played for England? Laurie Sanchez, Northern Ireland. Vinnie Jones and Glenn Hodges for Wales. So, you know, nearly all that team turned out as internationals as well. They just didn't get the credit and it still doesn't. It's still regarded uh, as, uh, uh, you know, not acceptable football, you know. Mm. Uh, it's easy to generalise and pigeonhole people as it does. You know, I can live with it and the players have done a fantastic job. You know, we didn't really care what other people thought because we was there and I said to you, you know, I, I see some utter nonsense where I see managers quote, we play the right way. We there and I'm thinking, you're third from bottom. You, you, play the right. you know, you're playing the right way to get relegated. Yeah, if that's what you want, well, fair enough. Best of <laughs> yeah. You've got to decide that you're a winner and you're moving in the right direction, and that, you know, as such. And yeah, it's just one of those things that Wimbledon just don't get the credit for what they did. You know, what we did in them seasons is unbelievable. On Gates of 2000, 
you know, I mean, for example, our wage bill, when we finished sixth that year and got to the quarterfinals of the FA Cup, our wage budget for players, myself, the assistant manager that did that, was £300,000 in, in 1986-87. Now, you know, players were, you know, there were players then, uh, you know, in terms of what I'm saying is, there were players earning, you know, £200 a week, £300 a week, which don't sound nothing, but you add that up, 15000 you know, £300 a week, 300 there, you know, all of a sudden, uh, the, the wage bill goes roaring up, doesn't it, you know? Well, they'd be, but that, to be fair, they, in, in, they were earning more, you know, it's probably, yeah, but anyway, that's, you know, we had the, the, the smallest wage bill by a million miles, but it's proves what you could. And of course, naturally, the players, some of them at the end of that season wanted to go, because all of a sudden, you know, they could go up to, you know, uh, to Newcastle for 900 quid a week. Well, when you're on like, uh, you know, 250 or something, 900 pound a week's uh, quite a nice hike, isn't it, you know? Mm, no, definitely. And I think just going on to the future, obviously, of management, um, I famously read that you, you in fact actually referred Chris Wilder to Sheffield United for the job. What do you, what do you see as the future for, for British managers? Obviously, we've seen a lack of them getting an opportunity to go and manage the big boys. How, how can we eventually see a shift and a change in that to, to see more British managers coming through and getting an opportunity at the, at the big jobs? Well, they, they don't because they have to get up themselves. I mean, Man City are not going to give a, an English coach the job it's going to be. You know, Everton have gone for Carlo Ancelotti. All the clubs are foreign, aren't they, at the top? Jose Aminas at Spurs and everything else. It's a fact of life because the owners of those clubs come from foreign countries where they, they don't think the English situation is there. So it is a problem with the people who've got the selection. It's not a problem, they're entitled to do it, you know, because yeah. they might see that, we you know, this guy, Klopp from Germany, he's a great manager. So Liverpool think we'll go for him, rather than perhaps Sean Dyche. You hear me? Yeah. They've, yeah. You know, Sean Dyche there. So basically, it's, 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 it's been like this for a long time. I mean, Howard Wilkinson was the last English manager to win the Premier League or whatever it was in 1992. So you don't see Frank Frank Lampard here, you know, that's, that's, that's probably one of the situations where Frank's English or, yeah, well, he yeah. comes, but Roman Abramovich has never gone down that route before, has he? So I think yeah. it's not easy for there because, it's, if, you know, probably if there was a lot more, uh, I would say, English, or, or British British owners, you with me? They would yeah. look more possibly English or, or, or British coaches. You with me? I'm not saying there's there's some clubs. This, you know, for example, um, you know, uh, Nottingham Forest have got Greek owners. Well, you know, they, other than Martin O'Neill, what they appointed, all the rest have been sort of foreign coaches. You know, that come from somewhere in Europe. I'm not saying they got yeah. they got a situation where they got say have a Greek manager. Or whatever. Is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the only way Chris Wilder gets promoted, Sean Dice gets promoted, anyhow, they stay with their club uh, as such. Mm. But you, you hear their name being linked a bit with top clubs, but it never happens. Yeah, do you know what it is? I think I think I think it's a, a really a thing around in terms of like, for example, Sean Dice has done a really great job at Burnley, but I think like you mentioned earlier, like he's 
using the players that he has to play a certain type of way and he almost gets pigeonholed as a sort of long ball pragmatic manager but you give him better players he knows what he can do pigeonholed a bit like Wimbledon you know sometimes yeah. you see Burnley play not everything's launched there's some good play but of course it gets yeah. out when all of a sudden one gets forward or something like that or they you know they call it route one the goalkeeper kicks it down the field the centre forward on the other one puts it in the net where they don't think that's aesthetic enough you know it's not <laughs> like looking at paintings you know some paintings are, are, are there and something else all you know that's crude you know whatever it may be so yes does a bloody good job you know on the wage bill and the whole thing he does you know it's a remarkable job you know where, Definitely, uh, yeah. they're not big wages and of course you know again you, you, you do wonder and think well could he have not gone to Everton, <laughs> for example? Yeah. All the last managers, but Everton are owned by, I forgot that, what nationality is, an Egyptian uh, guy. Yeah, he yes, yeah. thinks that he obviously thinks that the continental coaches, I mean, you know, I've always felt over the years, the continental coaches behind the scene, subconsciously, have been quite clever in suggesting that most English coaches and managers are kick and rush. They don't play the beautiful game. You with me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas Mourinho is a, is a pragmatic coach. He knows what he wants. Uh, he's not what now he's, people are saying he's not part of the beautiful game, but he's what he knows how to win football matches. And, and mm. that's a vital aspect. So that's why he's such a rich boy, because he's, he's, he's going to work, because he wins more games than he loses. Yeah, and just sort of sort of ending it on, on the sort of the future of management. Um, obviously, we're seeing different sorts of stars and managers coming in there like for instance like Sarri at Juventus formerly a banker we're seeing managers actually take football actually as a career and, and managers who've actually never played the game going into management do, do you believe that you actually have to play the game to be a, a good manager to a decent level or can you simply study the game and, uh, and become an expert? I think if you've not played the game at some reasonable level and I mean non-league Okay, if it's top non-league, you've been in a dressing room. You know what it's like to play, win a game, lose a game, perhaps win a trophy, get relegated. So you learn a hell of a lot in that way. Whereas if you're just come from university, you won't understand, you won't understand that. You can't because you've not. Yeah. It's like saying I'm a mountaineer, but I've never been up a mountain sort of thing. You know, you've got to do it. But there's nothing wrong with it because people can and. Uh, uh, you, you've got examples. Not all the best managers, Arsene Wenger, Mourinho, a lot of them haven't played at the top level as such, but they've done, they've proved themselves to be good managers. Man management is vitally important. If you, you, you to do, to, you know, if you can manage well and get the best out of people, but well that's, that's better, you know, whether you've had a great career as a footballer, you've got so many international caps. If you can't do that, where the players respond to the manager and in his management, and personality, then you're struggling, you know, because that can carry a long way. And long as the the, the, the manager can convince the players with, with, with what he does, and a lot of them use confidence to do that um, to the players, they've got, got to believe in you. So, yeah, I mean, there's certainly not to say that, you know, people haven't, Brendan Rogers and people like that, they've got to the mm. top. They've not had an illustrious career. I mean, as a manager, you know, I played for 
England at amateur level and uh, had a good, great career in that. I wasn't quite good enough for a uh, professional. I got the opportunity when I was 21 to sign for Watford, but I was earning more money from the job I was playing than being part-time because the wages were there and it just seemed nonsensical to go there because I did have the awareness that whilst Watford were in like the third division, I might make a living there, but I wasn't going to be good enough for the top league. So really, I was better off playing on league. But, uh, you know, you, you get people who are, are intelligent, you know, one can't suggest that, the, that Arsene Wenger or Mourinho uh, are not intelligent people. <laughs> they know um, So it's, it's always open, you know, because like all businesses, they come in all different shapes and sizes. And that happens in the world, isn't it? You know, people get to the top and they've not necessarily worked on the shop floor, but they, you know, they they know how to, to get there. Some people who work on the shop floor can't get there. You know, there's obviously a lot of good footballers who, who, who obviously not up to man management in, in terms of football. And some of them don't want to be for a start as such. It's all right thinking you can just walk into the job, but you've got to be out of manager and, and your knowledge and how you can get people to play for you. Again, you've seen that over the years that Ferguson built a side where the players knew where they stood but they played, but they knew there was no messing. You know, Klopp has got the ability to get the best out of players and that. And, uh, you know, Mourinho shown it as well. There's a lot of good managers and uh, uh, about, and there's a lot of good English managers, definitely. You know, I mean, they're, they're, you know, the coaches, the coaching ability, the courses that are run are very, very good, top quality. But again, it's like everything in life, you need a bit of luck. You know, I was at Wimbledon, I was at Wimbledon as a player, and Rob Nodes, who I knew, Wimbledon, when I joined as a player, was struggling. And I knew Bernie Coleman, the chairman, was desperate to sell, and I convinced Ron it'd be a good investment for him to do. He was managing Southland Football Club, and he went and bought Wimbledon. And then, you know, fortunately, I played for Wimbledon, carried on, and as Ron was chairman, I got an opportunity through Ron Nat, purely through that. If Ron hadn't got to Wimbledon and someone else had taken over, I wouldn't have probably got the opportunity to be in the game as such. So you need a bit of luck at the right time to be able to show that you can do it. Yeah, no, definitely. And just, just last year, I know I mentioned that was the last one. Obviously, you faced a lot of managers, great managers throughout the throughout your career so far, from, from Sir Alex Ferguson to Kenny Dalglish. Who, who would you say was the toughest sort of manager that, that you came up against? Well, there was a lot of good managers. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, mm. uh, Fergie obviously built the side. I mean, we did the double over United and they were not on the run at that stage. But Fergie had the ability, the personality to do it. Howard Kendall was a good manager. Very, very good. Howard Wilkinson, very, very good, very underrated. George Graham, good match. Jim Smith, you know, there, there, to be, there was a lot around at that time. Of course, there's, there's to suggest that all the managers, but they knew what they were doing. Don't worry about their, their team. David Pleat at Tottenham did a great job um, around that time, Tottenham. They knocked us out in the quarterfinals. You know, that was they had a great side with Waddle, Hoddle, Clive Allen, and... Uh, Richard Goff and people like that. Uh, you know, they, they, they were they were clever in different ways as, as such. 
um, you know, there, there was some managers you always thought, well, yeah, I, I, I think uh, we can get the better of this one. But you, you, I never went into them thinking, hold on, these these games are, are, are going to be easy because they, they weren't stupid people by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and and uh, no, good managers, you know, they, they, they were um, that's why they were up the top of, of the league. You know, the fact that Dalgleish was manager of Liverpool at that particular time, and Howard Kendall was there, George Graham was there, had come through. Uh, you know, in, in terms of Howard Wilkinson was at Sheffield Wednesday at that particular time. Um, uh, Jim Smith was at Oxford at that particular time. Pleaty at Spurs. They, they, I thought they were all good managers who knew what they were doing. I, I didn't think they were mugged for one moment. <laughs> Yeah, and just sort of in terms of yourself, what's what's life after management? Looking at obviously your last job was in two thousand and five, I believe. What you sort of been up to since then? Play, playing a lot of golf, or well, as, as, as you come to your time, um, yeah. it, I, I look back and perhaps I, I packed up a bit earlier. I perhaps should have stayed around. Yeah. Uh, the last job was with Dennis Wise at Leeds, and uh, I was disappointed that he went as the director to Newcastle because I thought at Leeds, we were up the top, we'd, we were going to get in the playoff final that year. Uh, and even if we hadn't, we'd have won it the next year and uh, go on. So um, I enjoyed that. Um, I mean, yeah, of course, when you go out, um, I enjoyed a bit of retirement. Yeah, I'm, I'm, well, I, you know, there's games I go to now and I miss being in the dugout. I miss being in the mm. dugout. I don't, you know, like in the build up to the game and all that sort of all them love. You know, you just want to get on. And, and, yeah. and on great days when the weather's beautiful, you know, to be out there training, you know, with the players is brilliant. Not when it's snowing and raining, and it's not so much. But you've got you've got to deal with it. And of course, there's there's other other games. I mean, you know, in, in, when I was a manager, and all those managers I'm talking about, we used to have to do the contracts, and we used to do scouting. You know, now you don't. I've never seen hardly any of the managers at any games. We used to be at games, you know, either scouting players or watching the opposition or whatever it is. I used to enjoy that, whereas a lot of it's all done by video analysis now, you know, and uh, the classroom. This coaching's changed a lot. I don't think for the better because I think coaching should be done on the grass. Yes, certainly the class okay but for me they use the classroom all the time uh, and that uh, they think that's the way forward i think you've got to practice what you're doing you know it's okay seeing it um, as such but uh, that's one one thing that probably i think's missing that it just, it, you know i look at sides and i've got to be quite honest i think they're a lot of them their attacking set plays and their defending set plays are, are really poor I don't, I don't, yeah i agree really fancy playing them because we were really good at us. We were very imaginative and people didn't realise. We, we won at Liverpool, 2-1, two, two set plays. It, 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 times we used to win games on set plays, um, but now I look and I think, oh. But there we are, even, all opinions, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, like even me, like, I'm, a, I'm an Arsenal fan and I definitely believe that your, your Wimbledon side would do a job on us. Um, because we just we just can't we just can't defend in the air. We can't stop crosses. We're slow to react. And uh, well, yeah. when, we, when we played the, the, the Arsenal side, we, you know when I was yeah. in Wimbledon, Ian Wright, Alan Smith, uh, Tony, proper Dave, players, yeah, Baldy, uh, uh, Dixon, yeah. you know Steve Williams, 
that Rixie, they were a good side. They were a good side. And Jules knew what they were great at free kicks. They, I remember them doing a great free click in the block when they beat us at Ivory. You know, they were like, Jules was canny. You know, Al Wilkinson, you know, you always knew there was something they could come up with in the game that you're not necessarily expected, expecting or you've not seen before. Yeah, no, definitely. But yeah, it's now time to reveal your um, answers to those statements. So I said that, so you said initially that represented England, I said that that is true. You said that... Amateur international, that's right. Well done, son. Yeah, and I said that you did not manage Crystal Palace twice. Yeah, but I did, didn't I? I went there for three days, if I, I told you, do you remember? And then I managed them when I left Sheffield United. Oh. And I lo- we lost in the playoff final to uh, Ipswich. Uh, no, sorry, uh, Leicester, Martin O'Neill. Wait, then- so when you... Wait, so when, when you... Because I remember you left Wimbledon to go manage them, but did you manage any games for them? No, I didn't, no. I was manager for three days. So for three days? What, so you signed the contract? No, I hadn't actually signed the contract, but, you know, I didn't need to. I agreed with Ron. I shook hands with the te- him. Oh, shook- no, come on. I shook hands, Te- technically- shook hands with him on the Thursday. Uh, I was went to the football writers' dinner on the Friday, and then on the Saturday morning, I thought, no, I- I've got to go. And I-, I met him on Sunday to say, look, Ron, um, I'm staying at Wimbledon. You know, luckily, the door was still open at Wimbledon, but Sam never yeah. forgave going to uh, which was out, <laughs> out of order, really, because going back to Wimbledon, I was about 10 grand a year worse off, you know. Uh, uh, <laughs> and the one that's a mistake is where I've led you. I was suspended for the first game against Halifax from the previous season. I'd, I'd been sent off right at the end of the season. And so I missed the first game. So my first game in the Football League was in the midweek game at Torquay. Oh no, so I've lost again this week. So Crystal Palace one is cheeky because technically yeah, the gentleman... When, when you said about like halfway through Wimbledon, I thought, well, why has he told me that? He knows I was went there for a few days. And I said to you, I went back to Wimbledon, you know, and, you know, because we just got promoted to the second division. And I thought, well, hold yeah. on, he's, he's probably going to realise in a minute that that, that's, uh, that I was at Palace twice, but you forgot that I went back there. Um, in 1996, didn't I? Yeah, that's the thing. So I, I knew you went back there, but I didn't I didn't know you counted that period when you shook his hand that you was the manager. I, I, I don't necessarily, but if you look at the history, it will show on the Crystal Palace website that I was manager for a little short period. Is, oh, no. Who's the manager so, who have been in charge of a club the shortest time? So I'm in there. Uh, you know, as, as one of the shortest with that there. Yeah. No, I'm gutted. But but Dave, absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. One of the greatest British managers of all time. The man who took Wimbledon and Sheffield United uh, from the basement to the big time. The architect behind the crazy game. Managed over a thousand games. Hall of Famer. What a man, what a legend. And if you ever fancy getting back into coaching, I'm thinking of starting a podcast team. So... We'd love to have you down there anyway, but yeah. Well, I think I'm a, di- I'm a dinosaur now and I'm a bit too old. So uh, I'll, keep, I'll keep playing me golf, which I'm not very good at, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to take on the Royal Cup style soon. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Pleasure having you on, Dave. Thank you. No, it's a pleasure, Paul. Wish you well with it and uh, yeah, keep up the good work with your podcast. Wow. 
what a man, what an episode. So many nuggets, so much insight into what it's like being a manager at the highest level. Guys, I hope you love this episode, not like it. I hope you love it. So download, subscribe, rate and review and tell a friend to tell a friend. Let's go. What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school. Now it's a putting in Arsenal. Powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that. But then also, they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know, one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. Let's just win this to appease the fans. Team USA is training hard and ready for the Olympic Games. And so is Jacob. Whoa, I've got my lucky shirt and Xfinity Flex. Oh yeah. Jacob's family got Xfinity Internet with the best Wi-Fi for their home and a Flex 4K streaming box free, plus Peacock Premium included. So Jacob is ready for anything. Go Team USA! With medal ceremonies, highlights, interviews, and more, plus all his favorite streaming apps in one place. Can your internet do that? Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Peacock subscription required. Xfinity, proud partner of Team USA. Keep up with Team USA with gig speeds over Wi-Fi from Xfinity. Can your internet do that? Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Requires gig internet and compatible gateway. Gig speed Wi-Fi is shareable across all devices. Actual speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Xfinity, proud partner of Team USA.